0: Good morning, how you doing, good so far, great, you got your Bibles or your phones or something, turn to Luke chapter eight, let's talk for a few minutes about what do you believe, Jonathan Whitfield was a, a great evangelist many years ago. And he was preaching to coal miners in England one day, and he asked one of the fellows a question. He said, what do you believe? And the guy said, well, I believe the same as the church. And he said, well, what does the church believe? And he says, well, I believe they believe the same as me. And he said, okay, well, what do you both believe? And he said, well, I suppose the same thing. That's the depth that some people can define their relationship with the Lord, huh? (laughs) I go to church, or somebody I know went to church, or why are you going to go to heaven? Well, because, you know, my great grandpa was a Christian, or something. You know, you hear crazy things, don't you? But what do you believe? What do you really believe? I mean, what do you really believe? What are you willing to belt the farm on? It's kind of a sobering question, but it's one I want to I establish this and get us thinking before I go any further. Do you really believe God and the Bible and all that it claims? Do you really believe it? Do you believe it's true? you believe the Bible is true? Do you believe all the stories in the Bible are true? It's quiet. Do you believe that all of the promises in the Bible are true? Mm-hmm. My next question would be, then, do you live like you believe that? Do you live like that you believe everything in the Bible is true, is real, is genuine? Our walk with Jesus requires three things. It requires faith and trust and belief. You say, what about hope? Well, it provides hope. Those provide hope, but salvation requires the other three. Why? It requires that you have faith that God is who he says he is. Because unless you can believe on his son, you can't be saved. Am I right? Secondly, it it requires trust that he will keep you all the way through eternity. You have to have that trust. Thirdly, you have to believe that he's going to do everything that his word claims that he will do. Our story today talks about such an instance. It's about a man, Jairus, the leader of a synagogue in a particular town, who had only one child, a little girl, 12 years of age. And she was dying. Only child. Can you imagine? I mean... I don't care how many children you have, you love them all the same, and you can't imagine your life one second without them, any of them. This is his and his wife's only child, and they're about to lose her. It's interesting to see what he did in this emergency. He raced to get to Jesus, not to the local doctor, not to the local magician, but he is racing to get to Jesus, who, by the way, happens to be that day somewhere in the proximity of his neighborhood. Just so happened to be close enough that he could get to him. Luke 8 tells the story, it tells it another couple of places too, but let's look at the one in Luke 8, verse 41. This man arrives and he quickly bows down in front of Jesus and he begged Jesus to come to his house. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying as Jesus went. The people crowded around him skipped to verse 49. And while Jesus was still speaking to her, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and he said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And when Jesus heard this, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will get well. What happened in the verses between, you guys probably most of you know the story. What happened in the verses between is there was a lady who had been sick for a long time. And she pushed through the crowd and she got to Jesus and she touched his garment and she was miraculously and immediately healed. Wonderful story, a great story to celebrate, a great story that boosts our faith. But that day it wasn't a good story for the daddy who was waiting for this Jesus to get to his daughter. If you could put yourself in his place, doesn't say it, I'm only imagining let me step out of the let me step out of the context. Bible doesn't say this is just is the only thing I can just imagine as a dad. I have raced to get to jesus who i believe is the only one that has a chance to help me in this situation i am pleading with him to come and heal my daughter i've got him heading the right way and then suddenly this lady i don't know her i don't know her circumstance i'm sure if somebody would have present to me what she'd gone through all these years i would have felt sorry for her but at this very moment nothing is more pressing than the life of my daughter yet she has the audacity to slow jesus down Come on, let's go. We got to go. And Jesus stops to ask the question, who touched me? Everybody's touching you. We're in a throng of people. And so the whole discourse between verses 42 and verses 49 take place. This man, I can only imagine... is so anxious and so worried and so frightened, all he can see is this lady slowing down his answer. And while he's waiting there for Jesus and this woman to get through with this conversation, how frustrated would you be? Somebody runs up and says, Hey, don't mind bothering me anymore. She's dead. Man, I tried to, I was trying to get you to come on, right? Everybody else is celebrating. This woman's been healed. It's miracles. She's been sick for 12 years or 15 years or all of her, whatever it was. And everybody's celebrating a miracle except for you because you just found out while they're all clapping and cheering, your baby just died because she got your miracle. Got in the way. Hmm. you'd be devastated, wouldn't you? You'd be heartbroken. Some lessons that won't come up on the screen, but you ought to write them down. These are just some things that that came to me when I was studying this passage of Scripture, and I thought they'd be worth noting. The first one of those would be this, Jesus is never too late. Now, I know how you're looking at that, and you're saying, oh, I know that, you know, that, that, He's always right on time. He might not be early, but he'll always be right on time. No, no, I'm saying. Even if Lazarus is dead. Nothing can be too late for Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. Not that he's always on time. Even at the latest second for your schedule. I'm saying that even if it's way beyond fixable on your schedule. It's not too late for Jesus. The second lesson that I would learn from this would be this. Distractions to you are not to him. They're opportunities for him to showcase his glory. Hmm. And the third lesson I learned from this is this. Belief in Jesus is never misplaced. So I want us to look for a few minutes at what this dad did... In the verses that we're reading about him. In, in, in this discourse. What did dad do that we can learn from? Because I think all of us find ourselves in desperate circumstances from time to time. So, so what should we do when it's our time to face those type of circumstances? This dad is quick to do three things. You can write these down. You look back to the verses we read. The first thing you'll see is he was quick To bow. It says, immediately upon his arrival, he quickly bows before Jesus. You know what that says to me? He had God's attention immediately. Why? Because in a multitude of people, he stands out. By bowing down. Everybody else is standing up. Aren't they? Everybody else is clamoring and moving and clapping. And whatever they're doing. But. He bows down. Well he won't be able to be seen. Oh yeah. You can always find the person. That goes down in a crowd. Can't you? What happens? People start kind of. Moving away, forming a circle. Somebody's hurt, somebody's something's going on. This dad becomes larger by being smaller. And there's a spiritual lesson in that for us. Are you getting that? I mean, before we go any further, are you getting that? Are you, are you starting to sense how that perhaps in a, when you find yourself in a desperate situation, the first thing you might want to do would be to bow so that you would stand out in a crowd? Hmm. Usually it's our last resort, isn't it? Usually in a desperate situation, the first thing we do when you're desperate, you start jumping up and down, yelling, screaming, getting your hands up in air, You're trying to get somebody's attention, don't you? But just think, just logically think about that for a minute. Think about a bunch of little kids trying to get someone's attention at some kind of a play or a concert or something. And that maybe all the kids would be at the front and they're grabbing, they're jumping, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're jumping them down. Hey, look at me, look at me, right? What about the one that goes down? They get more attention than anybody else. The way, this man got, the way this man got God's attention was by immediately bowing down in front of him. And then the scripture said, he begged. That's number two. You say, I don't like begging. Well, it's up to you. Look like it worked to me. Effectual fervent prayer to me sounds like the kind of prayer that comes from a person who is fervent. And effective because they won't turn loose, because they just keep on. The squeaky wheel that gets the oil, Right? He begins to beg Jesus to come to his house. My question to us would be, how welcome is Jesus in our house? You say, well, there's things there that I don't want him to see. Some people try to operate with the separation of church and home, not just church and state. Jesus is at church. My stuff is at home. In years past, I've even gone to visit people that didn't come back to church because when I went to visit them and they opened the door, there were things in clear sight in their living room that they didn't want me to see. I don't know what they thought God was doing in all that. I mean, I only saw it once they opened the door. But... I guess they felt like there was enough of God in me that they were too convicted to come back to church. I hate that. Certainly wasn't what I was after. In fact, that it was completely detrimental to what I was doing. The whole reason I was there was to thank them for coming, invite them to come back. And over I overlooked all that. Like, come on, man, we are glad to have you. Some people live their lives that way. They got their Bible here at church. But they got other stuff at home. And they want Jesus to meet them here. But if they need him this week, they'll call on him there. I want you to get a picture here. This man is begging Jesus to come to his house right now. Now, can you imagine if you're a parent, there are no local hospitals... Your daughter has been sick for a while to the point that she's about to die. So what do you think you and mama have been doing for the last however long this girl's been sick? Whatever it took to keep her alive. Have you been keeping up the laundry? Have you been keeping up the house? Probably not. What have you been doing? Maybe the house is a mess. When you really get desperate about Jesus, you don't care what the house looks like anymore. People that say to me, I'm waiting till I get my house clean before I get my life right. I'm waiting till I get my life right before I ask Jesus. Like Then you're not ever going to invite Jesus into your life. The reason you need him to come home with you is because the house is dirty. That's the very reason that you need to invite him into your life is because you can't clean it up by yourself. We have that picture where that we can't, we, we are ashamed to allow Jesus to see what's going on in our mind or in our heart. And so we try to keep a separation there when he's saying, listen, I want you to beg me not just into your home on good days, but I want you to beg me into your house when the house is a mess. Cause I don't want to just be a guest that shows up every once in a while. I'm family. I live here. I live with you wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You can't invite me in and out. I dwell with you all the time. I'm going to live here. And I don't like this nasty house. And that's why I convict you about it. But I intend to live here. I'm going to be with you always. Even to the end of the age. Get that, he says. Get that in your mind. This man says, Jesus, we got a, we got a, a bad situation going on at our house. It's a mess. But I'm begging you to come into it anyway. Because we can't fix this by ourselves. What a word. Quick to bow. Quick to beg. And thirdly, quick to believe. I take you to Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, which is another rendition of the same story. The reason I take you there is because the way that verse 18 is worded. I want you to see the difference. Luke, as a physician, is looking at this through, a different, through different eyes where we were. But now we go to Matthew, and Matthew is seeing this from, you know, you say, well, is the Bible different in different places? No, it's people standing on different corners reporting on the same wreck in the intersection. Does that make sense? Luke's standing on this corner. Matthew's standing on this corner. Matthew sees things Luke didn't see. Doesn't mean that they're variances or that they're different or contradictions. They're just looking at it from a different place. And so Matthew's looking at this from different eyes than Luke. And Matthew sees something here that he thinks is worth relaying to us. His rendition of this in 18 is... A synagogue leader came to Jesus while he was talking to John's disciples. He bowed down in front of Jesus and said, my daughter just died. Come lay your hand on her and she will live. Same story. Different rendition because Matthew chooses to focus on the dad's faith. He focuses on this part of it where he says, if you will touch her, she will live. Wow. We say, well, I'm, I'm caught between one said that she was dying and the other one said she's already dead. I'm, I'm, I'm hung up there. Don't hang up there. Because it can mean that this daddy knows in his heart that when he left the house, she might have been breathing, but by now she's probably dead. And he knows in his heart she's as good as dead. If not, she's going to die if not. And so he says, my daughter's dead. She just died. But if you would come and lay your hand on her, she will live. Now, that's believing right there. I asked myself, when was the last time I prayed with that kind of belief? Hear me out for just a few more minutes and we'll be done. It seems we know how to ask. Am I right? In desperation, we know how to ask. But our prayers are, are reminders and petitions. We pray hoping that God will move. This, this dad's prayer is different than that. He, he's not just presenting a need and then hoping, he presents a need and he tags it with I know that if you touch her, she'll live no matter how desperate the situation. I believe in you, he says. I think sometimes that we are. Listen, quicker to pray than we are to believe. We're all good at praying. Soon as you soon as the baby gets sick, you start praying. But the way you pray a lot of times is you pray and then you, you tag on the hope instead of tagging on the trust and the belief. The faith, the trust and belief. Those remember those things we have to have. Hope is what comes up. But we have to so we pray, we request, we make these petitions, we request known to God, and then we just walk away saying, Man, I hope he does something. Wow. Hope he does. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he will, but man, I hope he does. And that's how we pray. This dad comes and says, She's already dead. I can feel it in my heart. She might have been breathing when left the house, but I can feel it in my heart, she's gone. But if you will touch her, she'll come back to life. I know it in my heart, he says. That's the difference. That's why I asked you a minute ago, what do you believe? What do you really believe? Not just what you hope. Not just what you think. Not just what you pray. Hmm. How quick are we to believe? What do you believe? I'm not asking you what you think. I'm asking, what is it that you believe so deeply in that you'd be willing to die for? See, see there, there's good men and women that, that have believed so deeply in, in freedom and country and family, and principles, and causes that they were willing to give their life. And I'm thankful for all of those. I'm not taking anything from that, but, but they did this because they believed in something with their whole life. I'm asking you, shouldn't we believe in God to that, or at least that extent or more? Isn't His Word, His Spirit, His love, more trustworthy than any other cause? We can learn some valuable lessons from this dad. I think, that, I think the very first thing that I need to remember from this is that, that I need to learn to be quicker to give God the first shot at sickness and heartache and tragedy and failure and help. Not last shot. First shot. We lived, that's why I asked you when we started. Do you live like you believe? If you lived like you truly believe the word and promises of God, then every time a circumstance presented itself in your life, the first thing you would do would bow, beg, and believe. Regardless of how messy it is. It wouldn't be the last resort. It would be the very first thing. So what's the result of the story? Luke eight fifty four. Jesus took the little girl by the hand and he called out, child, get up. And she came back to life and got up at once and he ordered her parents to give her something to eat. Isn't that amazing? That you look at the story, people were already all around the house crying, grieving, mourning. He had to make all of them get out of the way. He had to push all of them out of the way so he could get to the little girl. It was it was never it was never uh, I want you to understand something for us it was a huge miracle for Jesus it was a no no big deal it was not a big deal it's the same God who spoke your life into existence it's the same God who formed you in your mother's womb who formed your mother's womb it's the same God so so for him to bring What's harder for him to create from nothing or to bring back? Huh? So, I mean, they're freaking out. This little girl, she, she opens her eyes. She gets up, and he's, he's, he's just logically he says, give her something to eat. I mean, it makes logical sense to the master. Just give her something to eat. Everybody's like, whoa, she just raised from the dead. He's like, I created her. I, I, I put her soul in that body. I mean, give her something to eat. Amazing that what is so miraculous to us is miraculous. It's not a big deal. And things like these happen for those who what? Believe. The belief is tough, isn't it? Sometimes. We're like those in the Bible. They said. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm doing the best I can to believe, but help my unbelief. And it seems like sometimes it's easier for me to believe for someone else more than it is for myself. When I'm in the situation, man, I really need you to believe for me because I'm just like you sometimes. I prayed those prayers before that were, Lord, I'm praying. And I know what, I mean, I know. You can do everything and anything, and all it takes is you to speak the word. I know that, but I don't know if you're going to. I can't make you. I haven't been able to make you so far. Ever prayed angry prayers? I love you, God. I trust you. You may. I'm like Job. Though you kill me, I think you're fixing to, but if you do, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to be mad at you, but I love you anyway. But if I know you can heal me. I wish you would. Man, I wish you would. Quit bragging about it. I wish you'd do it. Huh? Nobody ever been like that? Am I the only one? You say, oh, no, that's, that's sacrilegious. We'd be afraid God would strike us with lightning. Sometimes you get bad down low enough, you wouldn't care if God struck you with lightning. You'd be like, man, it'd be good to be over with this. Strike me, let's go, man, let's be done. I mean, next is, next is better. I've read the book, next is better. Strike me. (laughs) What do you believe? What do you really believe? Well, I believe the same as the church. What's the church believe? Same as me. What do you both believe? I guess the same thing. What do you believe? What do you believe? What do you have need of? And what are you willing to believe God for? When you're down, it's hard to have childlike faith. Childlike faith is such a pure and beautiful thing. Isn't it? And children just. They just believe you. You tell them something, they believe you. They get their feelings hurt, but they'll believe you again. Won't they? Your parents, you know, you have if you have children. Man, your children love you. Their lives depend on you. And so anything you tell them, they believe you. You betray that trust a time or two. They still will. Because it's hard for their mind to wrap around the fact that you would do anything other than the best for them. So they just believe you. They just believe you. And God says through this story to us. That's what I want you to do with me. I Believe me first. Before you decide to doubt. Before you decide to. To hope what you got to lose to just come to me like a child and believe me first isn't that a good word what you gonna do when that circumstance hit immediately I'm gonna remember this may not remember where I got it I may not remember who said it but the next time that circumstance comes I'm gonna immediately first I'm gonna bow I'm gonna beg I'm gonna believe How quick will you come to Jesus? Even if some of you may think or know, as the dad knew in the story, it's too late. Some of you are looking at your circumstance and it, and it, it presented itself and it's done and gone and over. And it may have been something you've been praying, prayed about a year or two ago that didn't happen. And you're like, well, it's, and now it's too late. It's done. Remember what we said about the lessons earlier that those are just opportunities for God to receive glory. Jesus can walk right back into what you think is dead, gone over with no hope. He can go back. He can go back 20 years and raise the dead. Time is of no essence in this. He can go back as far as he needs to go back. If he needs to go back and break a generational curse. If he he needs to go back and fix something that triggered all of this that has happened in your life because of something that happened as a child. Some of you deal with issues because of something that happened to you as a child. And now you live with, you know, you live with the repercussions of that and then triggers along the way after that, Jesus don't have to just take care of the triggers. He could go all the way back and heal the broken spot. He raises back to life things that we think are dead, things that are dead. Do you believe? That's the question. Do you believe? We saved our prayer time for this part of the service today on purpose. We saved our prayer time so that we could have an opportunity to believe, to lay hands on people, and pray. I, I, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking for folks this morning who have desperate situations. I'm looking for people who need miraculous healing to pray for. I'm. I, I'm. I'm believing. I'm just believing. People that need healing. People who, whose marriages need. Need to be uh, repaired. People whose finances are just broken. People who have lost jobs don't have any idea where they're going to get one. People who are broken and discouraged. I'm looking for people who are addicted, hopelessly addicted. Cannot quit something. Whatever that is. Something is binding you and causing you to be frustrated and never have freedom. You know that feeling of the cycle of addiction where that when you think you've got it defeated. And you cruise along for a few weeks. And then it comes back. I'm talking about... Believing that Jesus can set the captive free. Set them free. Do you believe? That's our prayer time this morning. I want you to stand to your feet. And if you are that person, what whatever one or what, whatever I talked about or didn't, but you believe because you feel like Jay Iris. No matter what the whether it's a, a a lost daughter, a dying daughter, whatever the situation, you are ready to bow, to beg, and believe. Then this altar time is for you. And I've been praying. I've been praying in there. I'm believing God for the miraculous today. I am, and I'm not just talking about you know. Somebody's headache to go away. I'm, I'm, I'd love that. I hope it happened for you, but especially if I'm one, gave it to you. <laughs> maybe, it maybe the miraculous to go away in about thirty minutes. So. But I'm believing God for the miraculous, Jerry. I want you to pray. Help me pray today. Will you do it? You're supposed to, aren't you? Yeah. So i want if that's you, I want you to come and just stand across if, they, if you need prayer, I want you to come and stand across don't come up close, but stay back give us some room to walk, but you can just line across here, come on, whoever's coming, come on.